Well, happy Easter, Menlo Church. So good to see you. I, thanks so much. Uh, I will tell you that as a pastor, when you teach multiple services on a weekend like Easter, you're sort of saving energy to make sure you can make it through all of them. Now I have extra energy, so you're going to get all of it. So uh, <laughs> before you clap, you should probably wait. Just anyway, uh, whether you're with us um, from one of our campuses in Saratoga, Mountain View, Menlo Park, San Mateo, or joining us online, thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope you're having an incredible Easter weekend already, and especially if this is your first time or your first time back in a long time, welcome home. There is a tradition that followers of Jesus have been um, carrying out on Easter for a couple thousand years, and it's kind of a call and response thing. You have a line. And so if you don't know it, we've been practicing it for a couple thousand years. I'm going to teach it to you real quick. I say, he is risen. You say, he is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. All right, let's try it one more time. He is risen. He is risen and that's why we're here. That's the whole reason why we come together. 2,000 years ago, there was an event that defied all explanation. It created an explosion of growth and impact that the world had never seen and we are still feeling today. And this service and services like it all around the world this weekend are a part of that continued work of God in our world. Now, before we get started, before we dive more into it, I'm going to pray for us. And if you've never been here before or never heard me speak, I pray kneeling. And the reason that I do that on a day like Easter is I just know that some of you, you have a wall up, you have a barrier up and God is definitely not going to break in. And I pray that he will Anyway, that you would feel his love and kindness for you over these next few minutes like maybe you never have before. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you that the grave means you won. An empty tomb means that our lives can be full, full of you, full of hope, full of a future that would never be available without it. Would you help that take center stage in our lives today, whether we've been following you for a long time, or we have yet to discover, would you pursue, God, those hearts today? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So as a parent with four kids, I can usually tell you when my kids want something. It usually starts with flattery, something like, you're the best dad in the world, <laughs> uh, which is not true, and they know it's not true. Like, they are lying to me and themselves. Uh, then there's usually uh, maybe like a joke, they're funny, and then eventually the hook, right? Eventually the snack that they want, the experience that they want to have, the toy that they're hoping for, right? The bedtime they want extended. I wonder, parents, can you relate to any of that? Kids, you're like, I'm offended, but you're right. That's all true. Now, I think for some of you, that's how church feels. For some of you, you don't come very often, and when you do, it feels like man, you just, you just know that there's this agenda, there's this expectation underneath the surface, this hidden agenda that you're doing your best to avoid until you get out of here and enjoy the brunch that was promised to you in exchange for coming, right? And if someone invited you and you came and they didn't promise you brunch, make them get you brunch afterwards anyway, okay? You're welcome. Happy Easter. Now, I do have an agenda, and I'm going to be very upfront about it with you. But first, I need to say this. If you are a follower of Jesus, I am going to ask you to sacrifice some of your preferences over the next few minutes about the kind of message you expect me to give. Because I have an opportunity to speak to unchurched, de-churched, underchurched. It's been a while since they've been in church people. 
um, very directly and very clearly. And I'm guessing it's going to help some of you too. Some of you that three years ago, you called yourself a really faithful follower of Jesus. You called yourself really connected to Menlo. And for lots of different reasons, um, you found yourself just more and more disconnected. This may help you too. So here's my agenda. My agenda that I want to be upfront with you about, especially if you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, is this. Are you ready for it? I want you to believe that a reasonable faith exists. That's it. I don't think I can make you believe it. That's above my pay grade. So let me clarify. Some of you, you walked away from following Jesus or you have never seriously considered following Jesus because of things that a reasonable faith doesn't hinge on anyway. Some of you struggle with a global flood, seven-day creation, or stories of God in the Old Testament. And I have really good news for you. The Bible is the authority for every Christian, without a doubt. But it is not the foundation of our faith. (gasps) The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our faith. And maybe you're wondering, like, Phil, where did you come up with that? You haven't been here very long. I don't think it's cool for you to make up theology yet. Like, where did you get that? And I actually got it from reading one of the most prolific writers that we have in the Bible, which is not one book. It's a library of 66 books. And the Apostle Paul said what I just said. As a matter of fact, if you don't like Christians, you would really like Paul. Because for a long time, he hated Christians. He was trying to exterminate the early church. That was his life mission until he himself came face to face with a risen Savior and for himself believed that this first century Jewish rabbi was who he said he was. And everything changed for him because of it. So I want to show you three things in our time together. I want to show you the importance of the resurrection, the indications that there actually was a resurrection, and the implications, if there was, for your life and mine. First, we see the Apostle Paul describe the importance of the resurrection. And focus is really, really important. I I want to kind of highlight this a little bit. I know that we have kids in the room right now. So let me just illustrate how important this distinction is. If you're a kid, I really want you to do this. Shout out what you most look forward to at Easter. Candy. Candy. Yep. Perfect. Here's the thing. I know... uh, that some of you said Jesus because you're supposed to. Like, I know. (laughs) But underneath the hood, there's like all this really fun stuff of Easter. Our kids got their baskets last night so I could be there with them. We have a three-year-old named Wells, and he's running around with a decapitated chocolate bunny in our backyard just going, I love Easter, you know? And (laughs) that stuff's fun for kids. But here's the thing. It's not what's most important. It's not the reason that we actually celebrate Easter. Paul told us 2,000 years ago why this celebration keeps happening. He shares it this way. It says, even if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Just a few minutes ago, we read this entire passage in our services, but Paul's point is that Jesus coming back from the dead literally is what allowed us to place our life, our faith, and our eternity in the work of Jesus on our behalf. That without that, there is no hope of measuring up no matter what your spiritual resume looks like. 
One author puts it this way. He says, many people assume that being a Christian means that you follow all the rules and have your life together. They assume that Christian equals good person when the opposite is true. The gospel is not about what we can do for God, good advice, but what God has done for us, good news. Jesus lived a perfect life precisely because we can't. That's why Easter is necessary. Paul literally says that if the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, if he didn't live a perfect life, if he didn't die on your behalf, if he didn't conquer the grave, it doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter how you behave, that you should, that we should be the most pitied people in humanity. Let that sink in. The resurrection is not a fringe idea of our faith. It is the unshakable, catalytic, foundational moment of our faith, the foundation that everything hinges on. It's not the peeps or the Cadbury eggs of Easter. It's the whole basket. Everything about our faith sits inside of the reality of the resurrection. Nothing happens without it. Now, some followers of Jesus, they'll say something like, well, if this life is all there is, if there is no heaven, if Jesus didn't really come back from the dead, then it's still worth it. And Paul is saying the exact opposite. He's saying because there was a resurrection, it is worth our lives. Maybe, maybe you're wondering where that reasonable faith is that I talked about a few minutes ago. So let me get there because if the resurrection is important, but there aren't any indications that there was a resurrection, then it doesn't matter, right? See, if Jesus was resurrected today, there would be no faith required. We would have all of it recorded on social media and YouTube. Although I'm guessing that if we still didn't want to believe it, we would just say that it was like a deep fake, right? Or that it was fake news, because that's kind of what we do. We just make an excuse. But even though we don't have video evidence, we do have evidence. We have historically verifiable evidence things that are credible, that should make us take the idea of the resurrection seriously. My agenda isn't that you believe me, but that you believe a reasonable faith exists. Pretty low risk, right? See, the first indication that there was a resurrection is found in the gospel accounts of the New Testament of your Bible. The gospel accounts from a historic perspective, they are inexplicably consistent with one another, and they are written very close to the events themselves taking place. The four accounts that we have in the New Testament of your Bible from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are recorded from different authors to different audiences at different places near at the same time. And Luke's account was informed by countless eyewitness testimony investigations that took place at the exact time. The Bible goes on to include many more claims of Jesus' resurrection that are shockingly consistent with one another even across all the span of their accounts. Early church leaders like Ignatius of Antioch, Clement of Rome, and Polycarp of Smyrna all wrote about the resurrection of Jesus in the first and second centuries, so incredibly close to the events themselves. This wasn't a fairy tale for them. This was something they built their lives on. This is something that eventually they would give up their lives for. Maybe you feel like that's not good enough. It's all inside baseball. They're all on the team. Of course they believe that. Well, how about, how about folks that weren't inside the church, like Roman historian Tacitus and the Jewish historian Josephus, who talk about this moment in the first and second century of Jesus followers that followed a risen Savior, Jesus. 
And there was no explanation they could come up with about how this type of transformation took place. Getting any more reasonable? And look, I get it. If you've walked away from Jesus or you've never meaningfully considered him, it's unlikely that just a few minutes and a couple talking points are really going to move the needle for you. But here's what I hope happens. I hope for you, you can hear my encouragement to not just let these few minutes be your only research. In the free marketplace of ideas, truth wins. And I believe you will find the truth in the person of Jesus. One book I would wholeheartedly encourage you to read if you're a skeptic in search of more would be The Reason for God by Tim Keller. Tim does an amazing job talking about some of these implications and indications of the resurrection. Consider this expert. He said, it's not enough for the skeptic then to simply dismiss the Christian teaching about the resurrection of Jesus by saying it just couldn't have happened. He or she must face and answer all these historic questions. Why did Christianity emerge so rapidly with such power? No other band of messianic followers in that era concluded their leader was raised from the dead. Why did this group do so? No group of Jews ever worshipped a human being as God. What led them to do it? Jews did not believe in divine men or individual resurrections. What changed their worldview virtually overnight? How do you account for the hundreds of eyewitnesses to the resurrection who lived on for decades and publicly maintained their testimony, eventually giving their lives for their belief? I have good news for you. You're brilliant. You're Silicon Valley brilliant people. And contrary to popular belief, you do not need to turn off your brain to believe Keep your brain turned on, but I would say make sure that your soul is awakened as well. I think we live in a moment that turns down the work of our soul quite regularly because sometimes it's easier to hide behind our skepticism and intellect. We don't want these things to be true because if they are, then there is an authority beyond me, an authority beyond you. And I believe that very thing. Now, let me start with some good news, right? For us, the implications of this, this faith that seems reasonable, we have to ask this question, like, what are the implications of it in my life? What does it all mean? What difference does it make? And the good news that starts out sounding kind of bad is that you are more sinful, broken, and lost than you thought. That's the bad news. The good news is that you're created in the image of God with infinite dignity, value, and worth, and that God's love for you is so profound and so incredible that he sent his only son to live a life you couldn't, die the death you should, and come back from the grave so that we can turn our life over to him and experience abundant life today and eternal life waiting. That's the good news of Easter. And so if you walked away from Jesus... Or maybe you never considered him worth following for anything other than resurrection, like it was any other reason. I'm just telling you, it's worth reconsidering. I'm not trying to argue the age of the earth with you or the miraculous nature of the Old Testament stories. I'm trying to show you that a historic event from 2,000 years ago changed everything, literally cut history in two. I want to be honest with you. I believe the Bible. I believe those miraculous things. But even if you don't believe them, Jesus is still worth considering. And you might discover in the pages of biblical history, you might discover in the pages of history history, that the God of the universe sent his son and that that son still is alive and still loves you today. You don't have to vote a certain way to be a Christian either. I know the rep that we have these days. 
Some of you, you walked into the room or you logged on and you were just waiting for some card-carrying member of a political party to wrap their agenda in faith to preserve power. And that is exactly what's distanced you from faith. That's the opposite of what Jesus did. So if you're, if you're crossing your arms at God because you don't vote right, because you assumed it was intellectual fool's gold, or you thought that you had to boycott companies that don't agree with us, I have great news for you. None of that is true. Pursuing Jesus first and foremost, that's the point of why we're here. Now, this is my first Easter living in California, and it's pretty great. I'll be honest with you, weather way better than a month ago way better than a month ago. Very thankful for that. Now, I feel like it's taken me a little while, right? Like I've, I've been here, but I've figured out, I know where to get great coffee from. Shout out to Blue Bottle. And even though there are challenges, we're already following in, falling in love as a family with the communities that we get a chance to serve together. But it took adjustment. I was a Californian before I knew the implications of what that meant, the changes that would need to be made over time, like learning how to live without electricity for multiple days at a time quite regularly. That's still learning how to do that. Or the fact that I discovered I have to take a written driver's test again. That sounds so fun and exciting. Thrilled about that. For some of you as kids, you don't know this yet, but you are a part of your family even as you discover the implications of being a part of your family. That's the way that it works. That's the sequence. And if you're an adult, you know this, right? The first time that you interacted with somebody else's family as you got older, you realized how unique and different your family was and how much weirder their family was, right? That's just a part of what it is to be a part of a family, the unique eccentricities of it. That's what it's like to choose to follow Jesus too. That we become Jesus followers long before we know all the implications of it. As a matter of fact, even before we become Jesus followers, we can find community and belonging among Jesus followers. That's the way it's always supposed to work, but we have gotten the order so incredibly wrong. Sometimes in church, we have this sense in which the first step is that you must behave appropriately. There are things like a list of what you should do and what you shouldn't do and what you should wear and what you shouldn't wear. And then once you behave appropriately, you qualify to believe something. And then once you believe something, as long as you keep believing it well and keep behaving correctly, then you can belong. But man, that is nothing like what Jesus did. See, for Jesus, there were people who were nothing like him that liked him and he loved them. For him, the, the picture that he cast forward and the picture that I believe we're supposed to still follow is that it is from belonging. That you, even if you're far from a relationship with God, you could be a part of a community that really does love you and likes you. Even if it's messy, even if there's incongruencies, even if there are things that we, we have to have a great conversation about, that we would still extend belonging to one another. And then we would extend an invitation to believe in this gift of hope and salvation available through the sacrifice of Jesus. And only after that would we become this increasingly formed person into the work of Jesus in our life. That's the way it's supposed to work. And so if you walked away from church or you never really considered it because it felt like it was behave, believe, eventually hopefully belong, I would have walked away from that too. It's the invitation to community without strings. 
the invitation to belonging even if you never believe. That was what Jesus offered. And that's what we're supposed to offer. So what will you do now? Will you just keep coming to church on cruise control every Christmas and Easter? Won't matter very much? I hope not. For you, will you just keep assuming that there's a whole bunch of things that you have to agree with before Jesus and the resurrection to qualify? I hope not. I hope that for some of you, maybe that Exploring Christianity class for you or for you and a friend can be a safe place to just have the conversation for a few more weeks, to just keep it going. I hope for some of you coming back and making this more than just Christmas and Easter, I hope that is a next step for you. And as we finish up, here's the thing. I know the question that some of you are asking in your mind right now. And the question is, Phil, what if you're wrong? And the question I would ask back is, what if I'm not? Can I pray for you? God, I believe that there is work you want to do in the lives of each and every person in this room across our campuses, online. There is work you want to do to wake up human hearts. There is work that you want to do to renew souls back to you. And God, we celebrate the resurrection. We remember this, not just as a fairy tale or a fantasy, but as a historic event that made access and relationship for eternity with you possible. And so for those, God, who are close to us, but far from the relationship you died to provide, would you draw them to yourself right now? And for those of us who are followers of you, God, would you call us to a closer walk with you than we've had in years? If we've drifted, God, bring us back. That this Easter might not just represent new life 2,000 years ago, but a call to new life today in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.